Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon. My name is Colin and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Energy Fuels Q3 uh, 2020 conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question uh, during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Uh, thank you. Mr. Chalmers, you may begin your conference. Thanks, Colin, and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, before I get started, I just want to apologize for the uh, glitch we had uh, with the conference call yesterday, and we decided it was better to restart the conference call today and do it when everybody could get uh, access to, um, to both the presentations uh, and the audio here. Um, look, at, I know the past couple days with election yesterday and post-election, it's a busy time for everybody, so thank you for taking the time to join the call. Um, for those that uh, want to re-watch um, the presentation, uh, we will have replays for this presentation available on our website for two weeks. Uh, we have a lot of really interesting things going on right now at Energy Fuels. And some of you would have seen that yesterday, Energy Fuels officially became a U.S. producer of rare earth elements this past weekend. It was at production scale in its early days, and we'll discuss it a lot more in this presentation. But we're very excited about this, and we think we have first mover advantage in establishing low-cost, near-term rare earth supply chain in the United States. And we're making spectacular progress. We're also making great progress on our uranium production, and we'll talk about that as well. Joining me today is Dave Friedenlund, CFO and General Counsel, and Sarah Lukshit, that are recently uh, hired down as our controller. Before I begin, I would like uh, to, to remind you that you are controlling the slides and the presentation, uh, and it is controlled from your own device and I will endeavor to tell you when to advance to the next slide. Next slide. Um, I will likely be making some forward-looking statements and the appropriate disclaimers are included on page 18 to 20 of this presentation. Next slide. Okay, let's talk about the investment themes, and many of you have seen this before. They do change a little bit over time, but I'll try to go through them fairly quickly. I'm certainly, most of you are aware that our first and foremost business is uranium. We're the largest producer of uranium in the United States, and we have um, more assets and capabilities to, to respond quicker and faster than others. Uh, 2020 production, uh, will be around 175,000 pounds of uranium. Uh, that is really not large uranium production, but it is the largest production in the United States. We also have the ability and the only primary uh, vanadium production capabilities. We were the leading producer of vanadium in 2019, 
and we produced about 1.7 million. Well, we currently have 1.7 million pounds of vanadium uh, in inventory. Rare earths, which again we'll talk about um, more, uh, moving very quickly. We're very excited about that, and particularly how we can use the mill to produce rare earths um, as it is with existing equipment. There's also U.S. government support for critical materials, uranium, vanadium, and rare earths. So we think we're in a very unique spot when it comes to filling the needs of these critical materials um, that the United States needs so desperately, just not just for our industry, but also for the U.S. government. And financial strength, we're very proud of the fact we believe we have, at least in our peer group, uh, the strongest balance sheet and zero debt. Next slide. Again, many of you have seen this slide before, just, just showing our footprint. It's a large footprint uh, from Wyoming all the way down to South Texas. We have our three uh, production uh, areas all fully paid for. Uh, the uh, Nichols Ranch ISR facility in Wyoming is on standby, as is our IS facility, ISR facility in South Texas, Alta Mesa. And White Mesa is that blue star, and then some of the surrounding properties uh, to to these production centers. We're the only company that has three production centers, at least in our peer group, uh, in the United States. And I just want to remind people that, you know, the United States gets 20% of its electricity from nuclear power, and that's 55% of the carbon-free electricity uh, in the United States. Next slide. Um, we have... Um, uh, you know, this is sort of our, our, our front line of uh, production assets, the White Mesa Mill, which has become our flagship. Um, the uranium, uh, we have the ability to produce uranium, vanadium, uh, rare earths, uh, and land cleanup. It's the only conventional mill in the United States. Uh, it's produced uh, in, in current um, metal value of uranium, vanadium, and alternate feeds around $2 billion worth of revenue over the 40 years. So it's a substantially proven facility, and it's also the facility that uh, we, we had the picture, and we'll show it again in a bit into the presentation of the rares that we produce, the concentrate we produce. Nichols Ranch, this is a project that's on standby in Wyoming, and um, uh, ISR facility, as is Alta Mesa on standby in Texas. And what we used to um, call the Canyon Mine, which is also on standby, We've renamed that uh, Pinion Plains, and the reason we renamed it is too many of the environmental groups were always associating Canyon with the Grand Canyon, and that was a, a huge misrepresentation, so we've changed that. Next slide. Now, this is a really exciting slide, um, and it shows the pilot scale testing that we've done um, on the rare earths, and um, for those of you that are watching this, you can click on the button on the left, and you can watch uh, as we peel off some of the rare earth concentrate that um, that we made uh, this last weekend. And this is uh, very exciting for us. And I say, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. Um, and the filter press. Now, this is all commercial sized equipment. And um, basically what we do is we extract the uranium out of the uranium ores and the, and, and, and the radionuclides and make a concentrate that, that uh, is, is high in rare earths. 
Um, this is the material on the filter press. This is before it's actually gone to the dewatering process uh, and before it goes to separations. And to our knowledge, this is the first rare earth concentrate from monazite sands in around 20 years' time. So this was a significant accomplishment for our company and for rare earths in the United States. And it's hard to overemphasize how important this is. And some experts have said that when they saw this video, that they thought that this was a missing link for U.S. rare earth production. The pilot scale was approximately one ton of monazite ore, and uh, we began uh, testing in the middle of October, actually about the October 19th, and we made this concentrate uh, very quickly, and um, this was absolutely the first batch, and we're very pleased how it came out. We have another three tons or so of monazite that we're going to run through the pilot and get more information so that we'll be better prepared for the next step, which is commercial production. Next slide. So really, um, the emerging rare earth opportunity um, at Energy Fuels, um, it, it, as I said, is very exciting to us. And it is, um, it, our, our, our goal is to commercially start producing rare earth concentrate from these existing North American, with our main focus on North America, monazite ore sources. And monazite is a high value, high grade, natural rare earth and uranium ore, and so it is ideally suited for processing at the White Mesa Mill. And the other thing is it is, you know, White Mesa being an existing facility with the ability to handle these uranium ores uh, has all existing licenses required to make a concentrate. Um, we are currently in discussions with a number of entities to supply monazite to the, the energy fuels in the White Mesa Mill, and uh, we're, we're currently in advanced stages in some of those, with some of those uh, companies, and we hope to be able to report on that in the not-too-distant future. And we're also talking to people uh, that could potentially buy the concentrate from energy fuels. Um, so we are targeting rare earth commercial production in early 2021, and that is rocket speed in the rare earth space. We only announced in April of this year that we are getting into the business and to be producing potentially commercially uh, early next year uh, is quite remarkable and something we're very proud of. Next slide. So now I want to talk a little bit about our collaborations because we know that we are uranium and vanadium uh, producers and have a long history of doing that. I have a, a very strong conviction of making sure that you team with the right people when you enter into a new sector. And we're very proud of the relationship that we have with Neil Performance Materials. And again, we've talked about this in the past. Um, many of you will know Constantine Kirianopoulos, who's one of the most successful, I think he actually is the most successful person in the rare earth space um, in the entire world. And so we have a number, uh, we have a letter of intent, and we have a number of meetings with him on a weekly basis with, with both Constantine and his team uh, to help us with our strategic and technical plans. We also received an award from the U.S. Department of Energy uh, with regard to coal-based resources that we're currently working on with the Department of Energy and Penn State. 
Uh, we think that fits in nicely with our core business and this rare earth sector that we're uh, embarking on. Brock O'Kelly, uh, some of you will know Brock. Brock worked at Mountain Pass for nearly 35 years, and he's currently associate professor at the Colorado School of Mines, uh, focused on rare earth recovery. And then lastly, Jack Lifton. And Jack Lifton has been around in the rare earth industry for many decades. He's also helping us with our strategies and the technical side of the business. I also want to add that in addition to these people, which is quite a team and, and world-renowned, we're always looking for other experts to help us in other aspects of the rare earth business. For example, we're currently talking to people with regard to the next steps after uh, creating a concentrate, which is separation and potentially metals and alloy production. So, you know, we're going after this in a very serious way, a very focused way, and a very professional way. So watch this space. Next slide. Look at energy fuels. You know, I talked about this a bit already. Uh, has many advantages because, again, we believe we're quicker to the market, we're going to be lower cost, and we can be very scalable using existing equipment, um, you know, the, and proven technologies. Um, you know, it, it's because it's an existing facility and it has the licenses to treat and recover uranium from natural uranium, uh, that is something that takes years, if not decades, to secure those licenses. So we are focusing, even though there's rare earths from different types of sources, we're focused on, as I said, these monazite ore sources with the priority being to North America. And currently, uh, this material is being shipped to China. We think that makes no sense when we have a processing facility in the United States that can now treat and process this material. Um, and we believe that by taking our business plan forward, that we will be one of the lowest cost rare earth producers in the Western world, and that is very important. We hope to have positive, modest cash flow from rare earths within the next 12 months. I mean, some of you would have seen that on October 1st, the president uh, issued an executive order with regard to critical materials and uh, the importance of that to the United States of America. Next slide. Now let's talk about a bit about the U.S. government support for uranium mines and talk about uranium. This is, again, our core business. You know, we're very excited about the rare earths, but uranium is where we have spent the last 40 years, and we're very comfortable with uranium business, and we've got our own experts internal. We don't have to go out to experts externally for this. As I said, we plan to produce around, um, um, you know, nearly – uh, 200,000 pounds, probably in the range between 170 to 200,000 pounds this year. Um, we will have, outside of chemical, the largest inventory of uranium of any other company in the United States. We'll have in the order around 700,000 pounds at the end of the year, so that's pretty substantial. We're holding that because we believe the price of uranium will just go up. When we talk about the U.S. Uh, uranium reserve, we're still – uh, working with Congress uh, through appropriations to secure the um, $150 million per year uh, over a 10-year period. That totals about $1.5 billion. 
and the DOE is very aggressive at assisting with these appropriations, even though the timing is somewhat unknown. Uh, also in October, uh, you know, there was more clarity on the Russian suspension agreement. It was extended, and this reduces imports of Russian material into the United States over time, and it avoids the threat of unlimited Russian uranium entering into the United States. There is bipartisan support for nuclear uh, in the U.S. Uh, the Democrats have a platform that supports nuclear for the first time since 1972. So we do not think it's coming to the end of the world if the Democrats get into power. And um, there also is a number of uh, bipartisan legislation that supports nuclear and nuclear fuel um, also in the Congress. Next slide. Now I'll talk a little bit about the uranium market. Um, you know, and I, I, I talk, wait a second, I've got the two slides here. Um, I, I talk a little bit about the uranium market. Uh, look at the price of uranium has dropped uh, a little bit over the last quarter. It went from $33 a pound to $31 a pound. Um, you know, the long-term price also fell a couple dollars. Uh, but spot volumes were up and long-term volumes were down. Uh, we're still seeing impacts from COVID on supply impacts. I mean, we did see a number of mines shut down uh, early in uh, the first round of COVID. And now you're seeing some uh, startups with uh, Cigar Lake and Kazakhstan. Um, but we did see, or we have seen, a reduction in global supply. And we think that there's potential for further shutdowns from COVID surges. Long term, um, the persistence of these lower prices, even though that $30 is higher than it was a year or two ago, um, you know, we, 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 we think that demand continues to significantly outstrip production. Uh, it is estimated by Trade Tech in 2020, the shortfall is nearly 70 million pounds, which is huge. When you look out to 2030, the uncovered supply is nearly um, a billion pounds. Um, while at the same time, mines are depleted and being shut down. Uh, Ranger Mine, Komenok, uh shutting down in 2021. BHP recently announced that they are not expanding the Olympic Dam in Australia, and there's a lack of general investment in production overall around the world. So long-term supply risks are getting greater, not less. So a bright future for uranium. Next slide. We'll talk about uh, vanadium. You know, I mentioned that we produced, uh, you know, nearly 1.9 million pounds of vanadium in 2019. We still have about 1.7 pounds of high purity of vanadium in inventory valued at current prices. That's nearly $9 million. We still have 1.5 to 3 million pounds of vanadium that's recoverable from our tailings facility. And the current price of uh, vanadium, though, is about 535. Uh, which is low, uh, but we can restart fairly quickly if the price increases. There's a Section 232 that was filed by two companies uh, here in the United States. We did not file that petition, but we have participated at a certain level because we certainly would be benefactors uh, if there is some movement and the president, whoever that new president is, uh, signs um, it into um, imposed trade remedies, if any, uh, you know, early in 2021. Next slide. 
Now let's talk about market position. And I think it's important to let you know that even though we've got this, this, this market position relative to our peers, I really don't think there really is a peer to energy fuels. We are so different from everybody else that primarily or is 100% uranium focused. Look at our market cap is about 200 million. So if you look in that table, we're kind of in the mid tier there uh, from a working capital perspective. And this is after, you know, this is including the, 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 the liability of paying off our debt. We have around $45 million of cash or working capital, uh, which again in itself is, is, is a differentiator. If you look at debt, zero debt, most of our peers have substantial debt and we have no debt with exception of Denison and Peninsula. We also have the inventory that I talked about, which again gives us the ability to move material at higher prices very quickly. But when you move over to the right there, you know, and you start looking at what we do, you can see why I say there are no peers for energy fuels. We have ISR and conventional production, only Cameco has both. If you move over to vanadium, we have the vanadium plant at White Mesa with a proven history of being able to produce vanadium. Alternate feed, which many of you have heard me talk about, generally is between five to $15 million per year of revenue where we can recycle uh, low level natural uranium and create um, uh, you know, in power or, or fuel for nuclear power plants. And then lastly, and this is a huge one, a huge one, rare earths. Nobody on that list is advancing like we are with rare earths or has the ability to potentially go into commercial production next year. So I think that our optionality, we are critical mineral central and we've got so much optionality. I was very pleased that Dave Talbot from 8 Capital said we were the top uranium pick in all of North America and I believe, and hopefully in time, due course as we move forward, we can also be a substantial rare earth pick in North America as well. So I think that says a lot about where we can kind of fit in. And I don't know anyone who has that capability because the rare earths that we're, tr we're processing have substantial quantities and are uranium ores that we can process at the White Mason Mill. Next slide. All right, and again, many of you have seen this slide many times. I, I think it speaks volumes as a proven uranium producer. Uh, over the last 15 years, the blue, the light blue, is production from Chemical Corporation's operations uh, in Wyoming and Nebraska. The blue is uranium production from energy fuels assets. And then down below, you see um, uranium production from UR Energy and that really light blue and then the red was the uranium one Willow Creek uh, production in Wyoming and there's a few others. Between Cameco and Energy Fuels over 15 years, the two companies produced 85% of uranium in the United States. If you add UR Energy and Uranium One, it's closer to 97%. We know we can produce uranium. We have decades of experience producing uranium, and we have produced it, and we continue to produce more than anybody else. So I think when you're looking at making an investment in 
uranium, or any of these commodities, it's important that you deal with people that have a track record of successful delivery. Next slide. Now, uh, this has been on our, our deck for a while. Uh, it's still there. This is the opportunity to participate in government cleanup of abandoned uranium mines in the Four Corners region. Um, if you look at this, you can see the stars is White Mesa at the top of that graphic. Uh, the picture uh, in southern Utah, that's the Four Corners region. Um, the red dots are mines that were either never reclaimed or poorly reclaimed. And then there's a star down by Albuquerque by grants, a green star, on a project that's not on Navajo land that we're currently cleaning up. So the orange is the Navajo Nation. And the U.S. government has in trust about $1.7 billion to clean up the Navajo Nation, and we would love to help them with this. The White Mesa Mill is fully licensed and capable of assisting with that cleanup now. And we are, in fact, hauling ore from a um, uranium mine, that green star down there in New Mexico, to White Mesa. And it's a small uh, job force, but it's around $200,000 per month, and it could be 10 times that with no problem. So we have a couple of ongoing projects, the one that I just mentioned uh, at the private mine in New Mexico, but we've also volunteered to clean up some of the Navajo Nation, a small project for free to try to get more material from the Navajo Nation uh, coming our way, and we can both process it, recover the uranium, recycle uranium, clean it up now, and really do uh, a service uh, for those mines that need to be addressed and haven't been properly addressed over time. Okay, next slide. This is a bit more on our financial uh, circumstances or situation. Um, you know, you can see the nearly $45 million of cash or working capital at the end of the quarter. The inventories of approaching 700,000 pounds of uranium, the 1.7 million pounds of vanadium. And I want to point out that if you look at um, the value, how we're carrying our working capital, we're valuing the uranium on our books at $23.13 a pound. So when you look at the 29.90 current price, 30% higher, we're actually very conservative on our working capital numbers uh, because of the fact that we carry it on our books at $23. So, um, you know, we're, you know, and I still want to reiterate the fact that, you know, having zero debt, it wasn't easy, but we're glad we did it and we're glad it's behind us because it's not good to have debt and any kind of it, well, look, I'm not against debt, but I, 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 I certainly don't support having uh, debt that you may not be able to cover uh, depending on market circumstances, and we're completely clean of that. Okay, next slide. We talked about this as well. We're uh, currently looking at the potential of divesting some non-core assets, and we've got two or three fully permitted conventional mines um, with substantial resources and strong production histories. We have a number of companies um, that are interested in that and are going through due diligence on that. Uh, we're also looking at offering a milling agreement, a favorable milling agreement at White Mesa, which nobody currently has. So if somebody purchases these properties, um, you know, and, and as I said, they're fully permitted and they have a long production history, 
Um, you know, the, and, and, and the reason we're looking at divesting these assets is we've got so many assets that we don't get credit for it. And we think that this is a great way of getting some value um, recovery. Um, they still would use the mill uh, when the price recovers, and, um, and we can still participate in it uh, by having uh, potentially uh, uh, share ownership in, in the company that acquires some of these properties. So watch this space. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We will not sell these assets unless we get an attractive offer for them. But uh, as I said, there's substantial amount of uh, interest uh, already, and we're very encouraged with the people who have shown up at the door. So next slide. Um, look at just in closing, um, you know, energy fuels, unmatched ability uh, for uranium production to, to increase uranium production quick and fast uh, from our existing fully paid for facilities, more facilities, more production capability, more production experience than any other company in the United States. Uh, the rare earth opportunity moving very quickly to be able to make a concentrate in a little over six months from when we announced we're getting into that unheard of key government support in this area and key bipartisan government support as well. Um, we're well positioned financially with the balance sheet that I explained with zero debt. Um, we're evaluating the potential divestment opportunity and um, you know, then we've got the vanadium, the alternate feed, the land cleanup, and other potential opportunities for upside that nobody else has. So thank you very much. I'll now turn it over for any questions that anybody that's listening to the conference call might have for myself or my team. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Uh, should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Okay, so your first question comes from Mark Reichman of Noble Capital Markets. Mark, please go ahead. Well, congratulations on moving from concept to reality in, in a short time frame. Um, my first question, I really just have two. First question is uh, if you could elaborate on which rare earth elements um, does the concentrate include and uh, I'm kind of assuming cerium and maybe thorium, and maybe if you could maybe talk, speak a little bit about kind of the pricing uh, of those particular elements and, and kind of maybe how, it may be too early, but kind of how you're thinking about, you know, what kind of margin you might uh, generate from, from the sale of, of, of the concentrate. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. Um, look at the, the rare earths uh, and the uranium rare earth ores um, contains uranium. Um, the the main value driver of these concentrates is the uh, NDPR. Um, uh, these are fairly high grade um, uh, with the magnetic um, uh, elements, uh, but it also has cerium and lanthanum. Um, you know this is this is uh, you know pretty high grade stuff. Um, you know when you look at the concentrate, and I don't want to be quoted on the actual number. But, you know, we believe it'll be in that, you know, concentrate between that 40 to 50 
8% TREO, somewhere in that order, uh, with very high distribution of the NDPR, which is the big value driver. Um, you know, one of the advantages of the, the value of the material that we're looking at, uh, the ores uh, from the monazite, is um, it, it is relatively high grade. The uranium content is about what we typically mine on the Colorado Plateau. And because it has the higher grades, uh, you can transport it further than you can if it, say, had a 1% or 2% TREO uh, grades. So we think we have an advantage uh, by having higher grade uh, rare earth uh, feed, or at least that's what we're seeking to, to, to secure for the mill. When it comes to margins, it's pretty early on. Uh, we've got to secure uh, adequate quantities to kind of get the, 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 the the order, you know, the scales that we need to get the best margins we can get. Um, we are uh, uh, planning that by securing adequate supplies that we will start looking at separation at White Mesa and perhaps metal and alloys. When you when you when you go further down the chain, you actually get better margins. Okay, so um, but we do think that uh, with relatively modest quantities of this material. We can be uh, cash neutral at the mill um, while we're processing that material. So we're very excited about it. And as I said, we believe we can be, uh, with the types of uh, material we're testing, that um, uh, we can be world competitive. Well, the NDPR, that's, that's an important uh, point. The second question I had was, um, you know, you have a, fairly significant amount of inventory, uh, both uh, uranium concentrate and, and vanadium. And, you know, understanding that that, that inventory kind of helps your working capital, you know, to perhaps bolster the balance sheet. I was just wondering with the retirement of the debt, does that change at all your thinking on when you might decide to uh, uh, draw down your inventories? You know, I think the main driver on when we draw down those inventories is more price dependent. Um, okay. You know, we, we, we think that, that uranium prices should, should uh, you know, increase more than they're going to decrease over time. Um, you know, so we want to be in a position to where we can, you know, opportunistically uh, be able to fill certain, you know, demands uh, with that material. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, there's no real 100% game plan of what we do and how we treat those those uh, inventories, but it, you know we're in a position where we can uh, you know fill a contract or fill a spot price um, or fill the the national stockpile that we've been talking about for the last you know year or so um, very quickly, and we can do it at a scale that's larger um, than anybody else. You know we showed that we have it on our books at $23 per pound. Uh, you know, if all of a sudden we we're getting some number with the five or six handle, you know, you can imagine what that does to our balance sheet. It helps us substantially. So, um, Dave, I don't know if you have anything you'd like to add to that, our CFO, or counsel. No, Mark. I think you've captured it well. Uh, you know, we 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 get credit on our balance sheet uh, for working capital. We want to maintain adequate working capital at all times. So we we. We normally wouldn't consider a dollar-for-dollar dollar trade of inventory for cash. I think it makes sense for us to hold on to it for rising to sell in rising commodity markets. It gives us more flexibility for contracting and, and other things as well on the rising market. 
Well, thank you. That's very helpful. Your next question comes from uh, Joseph uh, uh, Joseph Regor uh, of Roth Capital Markets. Joseph, please go ahead. Hey guys, thanks for taking the questions. Um, and obviously, congrats on getting this far so fast. Um, I guess the first thing on on the rare earths, um, you know, wh what should we look for is the you know the future milestones now that the you know initial pilot has been run, um, maybe say over the next twelve months. Okay, well, Joe, um, you know, the first thing we want to do, and I mentioned it, you know, we want to get uh, you know supply agreements for providing material, you know, hopefully for you know several years. Um, you know, at, at, at scale uh, to White Mesa for processing. Um, you know, in addition, we're looking for an outlet, at least at this point in time, when we don't have the ability uh, to separate, uh, potentially could go to somebody like Neo, um, you know, who has a facility in Estonia, because there is no separation uh, plants in the United States currently, and that's why we may actually have to be the ones to build the first separation plant here um, to to start integrating this. So look at Joe. It's it's my goal that in the next month or two or three, uh, we can announce that we have a, a substantial supply uh, agreement uh, where we can get this uh, monazite um, sands uh, ore stream uh, that we can start producing commercially uh, at White Mesa. So I think that's the first step. Uh, another step could potentially be that we're, we're, we've got an outlet for selling. Uh, the concentrate for the next step, which is separation. But uh, I, I think it's um, it's also interesting, too, because the only company that's currently doing this in the world that I know of is CNNC in China. So the monazite strains are going to China, and they're going to China because, one, the Chinese wants it. Two, there's no other alternative. And we're making White Mesa an alternative uh, or that's our goal to, not not at the scale of CNNC, but at a modest level, giving an alternative for U.S.-focused and processed uh, rare earths. So, you know, I'm hopeful we're going to have good news flow, but I would expect the next bit would hopefully be a supply agreement of some substance of magnitude. Okay, fair enough. Um, switching gears to uranium, um, you mentioned in your prepared remarks that you uh, – you see bipartisan support for the first time in, in a long time for the nuclear sector. Um, you know, we don't know who's going to be president yet, um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, we've gotten to see four years what Trump might give you as far as help. Um, what kinds of things do you think a Biden win might mean for, you know, avenues to improve the U.S. nuclear industry? Well, I think he's expressed um, an interest in, in um, you know, new reactor technologies and that he hasn't bad-bathed um, nuclear power like he has hydrocarbons, okay? Um, you know, we're going to continue to push for, you know, bi in a bipartisan way, you know, the funding of the National Reserve. Um, we, 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 we have support from NEI. We believe we have support from utilities uh, to have this stockpile. Um, and we think that's going to be helpful with the change of administration. You know, um, we know that, um, you know, if the new administration is, is focused on, you know, 
zero carbon emissions in 15 years, there is no way they can get there without nuclear and without supporting uranium mining and, and, and being tougher on some of these state-owned enterprises in Russia and China. Okay, helpful. And then uh, one final thing, if I could. Um, obviously, obviously, there's been a lot of news about fusion and, and out there lately. Um, you know, given that it's not really commercialized yet, uh, could you help me and uh, investors with, you know, an understanding of what that might look like? It, it, you know, if fusion is successful, where, you know, what does the demand for uranium look like in the world? Has it changed? You know, Joe, I, I've been in this business for 45 years, and they've been asking that same question since I got in the business 43 years ago. You know, um, you know, it's been around for a long time. I, 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 I'm not, you know, overly concerned about how that impacts any time in the near term. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I can give you any other feedback on that. Um, you know, I think, I think the the key focus that I see that's very exciting is with these small modular reactors using um, um, HALU, which is this this 20%. You know, typically the, the, the these reactor loads are about 5% uh, U235, um, and the new reactors are going to be fueled with uh, 20%. That that gives them um, you know longer uh, lives when it comes to refueling and things like that. So. You know, um, I haven't heard people talking about fusion for the small modular reactors at all. But um, look at um, Curtis, you're on the call. Um, do you want to say anything in that regard? No, I don't. I don't really have anything to add. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think you, you covered that. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's always, you know, talk about some of these new technologies. You know, fusion is something you know we've heard about, but you know, it's, it, again, it's something to one thing to to, to to test it, another to actually bring it to full commercial. Uh, production and deployment. So um, we'll certainly continue to follow it, but uh, yeah, it's not something we're planning around right now. Okay, fair enough, guys. I'll turn it over. Thanks for the color. Thanks, Joe. We have another question from Mark Reichman from uh, Noble Capital Markets. Mark, please go ahead. Thank you. Just a couple of follow-ups. Uh, I think we kind of know where that uh, the, the nuclear fuel working group kind of thing stand there, uh, but was wondering if you had heard anything or had any expectations with respect to uh, Trump's September 30th executive order uh, related to, to uh, you know, critical minerals. Um, you know, I, I think it was a 60-day clock. I know we're in the middle of an election, uh, but there was supposed to be a report 60 days from September 30th from the Secretary of the Interior. I was just kind of curious whether you had any visibility on that or, or you had heard uh, anything, you know, uh, from that. Well, look, it, it, I, it's certainly a, a, a priority in um, the current administration, and we've been told that it will be a priority regardless if there's a change of administrations. Uh, one of the advantages of um, that award that we got on the, the, the coal base yes. for Earth um, review uh, has given us some pretty interesting visibility into the Department of Energy. Um, I can tell you that, that um, our activities uh, with the monocyte 
and White Mesa and the concentrate is not going unnoticed. Uh, matter of fact, I think they're, the government is very excited. You know, that comment that I made uh, about, you know, some experts have said that um, this may be the missing link in rare earths in the United States. Um, that actually came out of a meeting with the DOE. So, uh, look, I don't want to go into that too deeply, but, um, you know, I think that, um, uh, you know, this, um, you know, and, and we, we got on the map through the Section 232 and the Nuclear Fuel Working Group with White Mesa as the only conventional mill. Now that we're piggybacking on the rare earths, uh, I, I, I think it really blows away a lot of the government people at how important that facility is to the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Well, the second question I had is really kind of to, to uh, follow on Joe's question, um, and that is, you know, it does seem like there is an awful lot of promise with respect to these uh, modular uh, reactors. I mean, they kind of address kind of the, some of the three major objections, and that is, one, the, the cost, you know, seems like they, they could, the technologies are evolving where there would be less, uh, you know, waste generated uh, and also uh, lower chances of a meltdown. And so, you know, I know Bill Gates is involved in that Terra Power, so it seems like that this may, t could evolve where it takes some people by surprise, but if you start to see more of those develop, how do you kind of compare the the needs for uranium, you know, if you see more of these uh, modular reactors kind of displacing the large-scale reactors, or is it a little too early to, to, to even hazard a guess? Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably too early, but I, I have to admit that it, it it's surprising me how quickly it's catching on, isn't it, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, when you look at the fuel cycle, you know, this whole concept of the HALU, you know, the 20%, requiring less reloads, it has less waste to dispose of. Um, you know, these things are built in a passive way where they don't even have valves and they just fail safe. Um, you know, there's a lot of remarkable work going on. And and what's also interesting is the people that are kind of leading this charge, I mean, people listen to Bill Gates, okay? You know, now I'm not saying that I'd recommend that at all times, but, you know, we've got some really key supporters here that are saying this is the key to the future. And um, so I don't know exactly how it rolls out. Um, you know, you saw some of the uh, awards that were made uh, for New Scale as well. You know, New Scale is, you know, quite advanced at uh, Idaho National Laboratories. Um, you know, these things are, um, you know, a lot more flexible because, you know, they're, they're modular and um, you can bolt them together. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, historically, you know, a nuclear reactor requires a very large population base, and you start looking at these, you know, 50 megawatt, and you say six of them or five of them or two of them or whatever they are, um, you know, it's quite exciting. And, and, and not just exciting here in the United States, but in places like Canada, far north uh, um, of North America, you know, places like Australia, Africa, remote locations. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, uh, should you have a question, please press star, followed by one. Okay, it appears there are no further questions. Please proceed. Well, um, 
in closing, um, those that participated, um, thank you um, very much for your time. Appreciate the questions. Appreciate your interest in energy fuels. Uh, again, the replays will be available for two weeks, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, I'd just like to say, everybody, that um, you know we're very excited here at Energy Fuels. Um, we're focused on doing big things. Uh, we're focused on having the right team in place to do these significant, wonderful things that we're working on. Um, and um, you know, it's it, you know we're trying to make big things happen. So you know, watch the space. Watch for more news flow. And hopefully we can have more on both uranium and rare earth fronts in the not-too-distant future that will really provide value to our shareholders. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.